know, it's tragic when you hear someone talking about selling their business when they're a year out from retirement or they're already burnt out and they just want to get out. Uh, yeah. One of the reasons I do what I do is that my father owned and ran a business for many, many years and he was the one and only person. So he didn't yeah. have a CFO, he didn't have any executive team to lean on. It was 100% him. And eventually he hit a wall where he said he just yeah. got, didn't even want to answer his phone anymore. And so yeah. he sold the business for less than it was worth just to almost escape the stress. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons. We are the largest law firm in the world with offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries available to support you everywhere you do business. We're a law firm that embraces change and can help you grow, protect, operate, and finance your organization, which is why Dentons is organized to offer more than just legal insight. We're here to help you find business solutions in a seamless fashion across the globe. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today, I'm joined by Vicki Nielsen, founder of Wayfinder Financial Solutions. Welcome, Vicki. Thanks, Heather. I'm excited to be part of this. It'll be super fun. I, want, I would love for you to give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and how you landed where you are today. Uh, so I've been a chartered accountant for 20 years, um, spent my whole career here in Edmonton. Uh, most of my career has been focused in great big companies. So I uh, spent some time with Stantec and Clearstream Energy. Um, and I've recently decided to go out on my own because I'm finding that entrepreneurs can also benefit from executive level finance advice. Um, yes. Never mind the freedom and flexibility for myself. So those big companies, like the ones that you talked about having worked for, at some point they started as little tiny entrepreneurial ventures too, right? And then they grew and they probably had some good professional advisors and some good support. And then they, you know, they they did they took a path that might be different from others. But every company ultimately starts as an idea or as a seed of, of somebody's imagination and then grows to you know, to something that, that we know of it today, right? Yeah, absolutely. Stantec's one of those big homegrown Edmonton success stories. So it's that's right. inspiring. So how long have you been kind of doing your own thing? Uh, you said you've been a CA for about 20 years. How long have you been working as, a, as an entrepreneur, supporting entrepreneurs? Yeah, for about the past year. So it's been pretty exciting okay. to start a business during a, yeah. a pandemic, but yeah. uh, lots of folks are having a look at their business model and thinking about what works, what no longer works, and how can we achieve our goals in a whole new world. So it's been a good and a challenging time to start. Well, tell me a little bit more about, about that. So let's pretend I'm an entrepreneur and I have this great business idea, but, but maybe I'm very good at that particular business idea, but I'm not good at much else. I'm not good at financial projections. I'm not good at bookkeeping. I'm not good at, you know, the things that, that aren't my, my passion or my skill set. How can I, how can they leverage, how can they get the expertise to bolster and, and help them in a way that isn't overwhelming. I, I work a lot, as you know, with entrepreneurs, and I hear that a lot where they're like, 
yeah, like there's all this stuff like, like bookkeeping. And I, I don't really know what that's about, but like, that's a problem for April or that's a problem for year end. And then of course it is a problem at year end because they've ignored it potentially, or they haven't optimized or they haven't leveraged, you know, some things. So tell me, tell me what a typical, uh, and I realize there's probably not a typical, but you know, an example of a typical engagement and when you come in and kind of the support that you can give, because I do think that it's a, it's a mystery. It's a black box for many entrepreneurs. And I'd, I'd love to unpack that black box a bit. Absolutely. Everybody can do some of what I do. And I guess where I really like to help entrepreneurs is I've been at this for 25 years. So yep. you spend your time doing what you're awesome at. And then I'll spend my time doing what I'm awesome at. And it's yep. really tough to be awesome at both. So <laughs> you're necessarily splitting your time, right? Um, if you're not focused on your core, on your core talents. So yep. if entrepreneurs uh, love them, they're those jack of all trades, get it done kind of folks. Yep. Bookkeeping needs to be done. So I like to split the finance world into kind of compliance, which is the stuff you have to do. You have to pay your GST, you have to do your taxes, all that stuff. And accounting is very important to get that done right. Right. So that's the stuff that people worry about once a year. On the finance side of things, that's the value add side of things where, yep. yes, the compliance is done. We know what's going on month to month. We know how much cash is in the bank. And I say that quickly, like it's easy. It's not, that's really right. important. Uh, so folks can sleep at night. The value add side of things is when your finance team can take that good information and look for opportunities to get on a better path towards the company's strategy. So let's say that you want to be the biggest, most widespread retailer in all of Canada. But your finance person can have a look at your information and say, actually, you know what? You only make money in Western Canada. Anytime yeah. you go like eat the Saskatchewan, you start losing money. What do we want to do about that? Do you want to, how do you want to change your strategy? So um, it, it should be value add. So counting is a cost, has to be done. Right. Finance is value add, should make you money. And so I really like that example about, you know, you, let's take a look at where your revenue is coming from. And it's at, it's not actually coming from a particular area. Is it is it also potentially true that it's not coming from a particular product or a particular service or particular what you might have thought to be revenue generators? So, you know, maybe some salespeople, like obviously everybody has a good day, bad day, but you know, some, some, some general trends more than just on, on location? Like, is that analysis that you do, does it reveal all kinds of surprising things or is it mainly kind of what you've talked about already? Uh, no, all kinds of surprising things. Okay. Um, so some of those conversations can be really tough. So when you just start breaking down revenue, sometimes you can break down your gross margin and you're not actually making as much money off a certain customer or a certain product line. Or sometimes you even find that you're actually making too much money off a certain product. So. For example, let's say that you're a, a manufacturer and you've come up with some fantastic new, I don't know, widget, I guess we always say in accounting and yes. nobody else has this widget. So it's yep. wonderful. You can charge what you need to, you're a market leader and you want to add in all of those research and development costs, your customer acquisition costs. It's expensive to launch a new product. So when you've got something fantastic, absolutely you charge for it in the market. 
Well, a couple of years later, and there's no deadline, it's different depending on what the product and market looks like, somebody's going to catch up with you. Right. And if you're not watching really closely, you're going to see your sales decreasing on that product because customers mm -hmm. now have a choice. And so depending on how long you don't have your eyes on the data, uh, it can actually be harmful to your business. Right, right. And so that that responsiveness, so, so, so having the data fed to you and then the responsiveness of, of what are the trends or what is the, you know, what are the markers in the industry um, is, is not static at all. And so if, if a company is only looking at that, for example, once a year, because they have to do the compliance piece, then there's a, 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 a big gap um, in, in terms of being able to actually respond. Right. And so what I'm hearing is that if you have the right person, the right team, who's helping you with some of those value add things, your ability as a business owner to be more nimble and more responsive to the market, to your customers, price points, for example, you're not going to miss out on, on, an, on an appropriate response. Alternatively, you're also not going to miss the mark on, on you know, not responding if things are going really well. Like it's not a guessing game anymore. It's now informed, right? Yeah, exactly. So those are the building blocks of a strong ongoing finance team. So having that live data that actually matters or as close to live as makes sense. It, it can be different for every company, depending on your of size priorities and where you are in your evolution. But once you've got that running and you have systems to be nimble, as you described and respond to the market, I don't know, in case a pandemic comes along, <laughs> you know, you want to be able to adjust your strategy. Right. Um, the other area where I personally really like to get involved and see a lot of value add is on transition planning. So us entrepreneurs, we get so busy focused on how am I going to get through this week, this month, this year. And we sometimes lose sight of the fact that we're not going to work forever. Uh, maybe we want to bring on partners. Maybe we want to sell a part of our business to the management team and move on to greener pastures. Maybe we want to exit quickly. Maybe we want to exit over a few years. What does that actually look like? So the transition planning for business owners is a key aspect of what I do to help understand what is this business worth? Is this the kind of business that we can sell to a private equity firm or, um, you know, where is the value in this business to an outside purchaser? Do I have family succession planning, that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's, that's really important. And that's, uh, it, it's, it's difficult because you're right. People don't, like you lose sight of the fact that you're not going to work forever. It often seems like we're just going to work forever. Uh, so people do, and it goes fast, right? I don't, like, where does time go? Um, but, you know, the other the other aspect of that is that I think people, um, they, their identity gets very tied up. As entrepreneurs, their identity gets very tied up in their business. And so they don't want to see themselves no, no longer working because then then what do they do, right? Then, then part of their identity is no longer, you know, really, really being served. And I think that there's a real opportunity for people to, to think about their transition, their business transition or succession planning as a legacy. How do I leave my business? What, what is the legacy that I want to leave? And do I want to turn it over to the next generation? Do I want to turn it over to my employees, for example? Is there you know, a, a nice synergy in the market with a, with a company that would be a good fit? And if so, you know, how do I plan for that transition? How do I plan and what's the right time to start thinking about that? 
The other side of that, so I, I, I think that's great to, to think about that because I don't think it's on the top of people's minds. The other side of that coin is I sometimes have these entrepreneurs who are like, hey, so I'd like to incorporate a company because I have this great idea. I'm like, okay. Uh, and then they're like, okay, so who would I sell it to? It's like, I, I don't know. This is <laughs> <quite> today. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so yeah, it definitely, it takes all, all types, but I think, I think a nice balance of that. And, and if, if you have somebody who's, who's adding that value that you speak about in terms of the finance, so beyond the compliance, of course the compliance is required, but beyond that, I think it, it, it allows you to, to socialize the concept early and then also to adapt your plan, right? In terms of like, what are the metrics that I need to put in place or what are the milestones or what are the steps that I need to take in order to be able to, to really execute, um, execute my plan? And, and those, those are thoughts and conversations that I think typically uh, go on for, they're not like one and done type of conversations, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And that gets into your long-term planning cycle. So when we're talking about the short-term responses to market conditions, things like that, you can have an ongoing strategy. This is how we run the business. But then your long-term strategy, you know, it's tragic when you hear someone talking about selling their business when they're a year out from retirement, where they're already burnt out and they just want to get out. Uh, yeah. One of the reasons I do what I do is that my father owned and ran a business for many, many years, and he was the one and only person. So he didn't yeah. have a CFO. He didn't have any executive team to lean on. It was 100% him. And eventually he hit a wall where he said he just yeah. got, didn't even want to answer his phone anymore. And so yeah. he sold the business for less than it was worth just to almost escape the stress. And so when I hear things like that, uh, what I would love to see is people planning three to five years out. The plans can change, but you may need to add some value drivers if your strategy is to sell big and make a whole pot full of money and retire to Hawaii or something. That's okay, we can do that, but that might take three to five years of planning. So what kind of investments do we need to make today to make sure they pay off tomorrow? Yeah, no, that's that that's really in, insightful, and I think I think that happens more frequently than we we would like to admit. Is that you know successful business owners hit the wall in in some way, and and whether that's because they don't have the support or they you know lost the passion for the business or whatever the case is, and then they've built up this great business. They might have a bunch of employees, and then one day they're just like, man, you know what? I've had enough. Uh, and then and then at that point they're just looking to get out as, as fast as possible. And you know you've you've really potentially lost a lot of what what you've spent your life you know working on, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of peace and comfort in having a long-term plan, measuring against it. You know, there are so many things that can go wrong in a business, but at the end of the day, there's like three things that you need to really worry about. But if those like three things go wrong, then it can impact your long-term plan. But the hundred things that you're worried about today, you know, a lot of them you can let it go. And yep. so the, the peace that comes with a plan and sticking to it, it's nice to watch just this calm and confidence settle over a business owner when they can see, oh yeah, we did see that coming. You're right. right. And you're right. Six months from now, it's a blip. Like right. we don't, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those peaks and valleys can be normalized a little bit when when at the moment they feel so completely overwhelming, you know, to the to the entrepreneur at, at the time or to their team, right? But yeah, if you can think long term and how is this event that maybe we didn't plan, how is that gonna impact the the long range, you know, forecast that we've put in place? Uh, number one, you can adapt to it, and number two, I think it helps you 
keep the perspective of the, the longer term and, and what you're what you're really trying to do. I also think that it's it's interesting when you talk about that plan. I of course talk to my clients about planning as well. And it's so difficult, I think, to get out of the moment and out of the reaction to put a plan in place. And 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 there's so many consequences for that of that, of course. Um, but but one of those plans or one of those one of the, the consequences of, of putting a plan in place is really around structure of your business and do you have the right structure to facilitate this you know this transition that you're maybe thinking about and what could that look like so you know maybe you've developed some really fun uh, innovative intellectual property that you're using but could be used in other businesses and in other industries and maybe when your service-based business is ready to exit you're not ready to retire that technology, for example. And so, you know, when you think about that as your long-term plan or you think about the opportunities that exist for IP, in my example, that really leads to questions around, well, should I put the IP in a company that I'm not going to sell when I, you know, sell a service-based company, for example? And then, of course, that could create some tax consequences and some compliance and all of that. And so not doing those, like, basic corporate structuring uh, transactions at the moment you're trying to sell is also generally good because your purchaser can be like, what is going on here when, you know, you're sort of taking care of some of those basic things. And I think having that plan really just puts into perspective all of those elements around planning and around just basics like structuring and who's actually, who actually owns that and do we have the right, you know, agreements and things in place. So I think it's really worthwhile to, to keep bringing that to the forefront of people's mind. Oh yeah, you're bang on, Heather. Uh, like on the upside, CEOs are so much fun to work with because they have that shiny ball syndrome too. I love to call yeah. it, and lots of people do. Like, oh, I have this great idea, I have this great opportunity, this great acquisition, or somebody wants to sell, or someone wants to buy. What should I do? And you know, it's not your advisor's role to sort of say what you should do. What their role is to say, well, here's how it will impact your long-term plan. We yeah. can absolutely do that. But then that means maybe we can't do these other initiatives that we've been planning for two years. And here's the financial impact of that. Uh, do you still want to do it? Like, yeah. what do you think? So it makes decision making a lot easier. You're a lot more deliberate in some of those big things. And if you start with your end goal in mind yeah. and you don't change your end goal, it really simplifies some of what you're talking about. Because, yeah, nobody wants to talk about incorporating a new company. It feels like a lot of work at the time. You say, you know what? I'm not going to be busy. I'm never busy in the winter. Heather, let's talk about doing that next next fall. And we'll yep. make it happen in November, right? So really yep. takes the stress out of it. I also think that you're right in terms of the cyclicality of some businesses. Some don't have that sort of same degree of predictability, but many do. And so you can, you can time these conversations or these thoughts to a time that is more you know more in line with a with a low point um and that also then gives you the benefit of a, a little bit of breathing room to think about these things so it's not so completely overwhelming which of course the bright shiny object syndrome is is classic for creating that overwhelm right for for entrepreneurs yeah for sure it makes you feel like you're always scrambling right yeah for sure for sure i want to i want to um tap into a question around how do you know, so as an entrepreneur, you, you know, maybe you start out, maybe you're, you start out as a sole proprietor, you grow your business a bit slowly, and then, you know, things, things pick up the pace a bit. 
what's the right time to work with, with you? What's the right time to engage someone? And then conversely, at the other end of that, that, like that spectrum, when do you need somebody like dedicated full-time in-house? Like what is the transition for an entrepreneur from kind of the fractional CFO type role to a more permanent, what, what does that look like? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And of course, there's no simple answer. What I will say is that I, like a full-time executive level CFO, that's probably costing you around half a million dollars a year, right? And you're probably getting a thousand productive hours a year. There's town halls, there's, you know, there's stuff that you do as an executive. Sure. So until you need someone and you have that kind of money, and I would say at the sort of two to $500 million mark in revenue is where you may need a full-time CFO, depending on what kinds of things you're doing in your business. So the fractional CFO is a great way to give strategic advice at a low cost. So even a solopreneur, talk to yep. somebody for a couple hours a month, if that's all right. that you need. And I think you'd get great value out of that. But as you grow, what you want to do is fill in your lowest levels of staff. Maybe you have an external bookkeeper, but you're finding that they're not as responsive as you'd like. You really want somebody in-house. Your first hire, you probably want a bookkeeper. Somebody right, that's right. going to just take care of your receipts and things. As you grow and you can't keep your arms around the reporting yourself, well, maybe now you want to add a staff accountant. And if you have that guided by an outside part-time CFO, that person knows the finance world and can pull the best performance out of your lower level staff. Right. So depending on your complexity and your rate of growth, I would recommend getting a fractional CFO right away. They'll help you make those decisions of what you need when. But even for the big companies, you know, everybody's busy. So if you even do have a full-time CFO that's taking care of your run and maintain and your ongoing monitoring of the plan that we talked about, but now an acquisition pops up, well, you're going to want to bring in a fractional CFO or someone that's at that high level to help get a project done. So right. it really depends what's going on in the business. Yeah, that's interesting. And I also imagine that it would be so, so let's say you've started early, you know, as a solopreneur, you, you, you know, engage somebody and you're working with them a few hours a month and maybe that ramps up for project based needs. And maybe, you know, maybe you've you've grown so that it's more than just a few hours a week. You also would get to know the business so that when they do get to the stage where they need to hire somebody, whether it's that staff level bookkeeper or up to you know the, the CFO, you're probably in a pretty good position to be able to recommend individuals uh, with certain industry expertise. Because I think that's that that's the other thing that I hear often is people are like, hey, like I, I need a CFO. Like, do, do you know what? It's like, like they have no connections, right? Because that's not their expertise. That's not kind of in their in their bailiwick and so they they don't even really know where to, where to start whereas if they've got this relationship with with somebody like you then they can tap into your network for you know resources and for ideas about even how to fill that which which i think is helpful because at that point you will have some familiarity with the, the business and and the team and you know all of that as well yeah for sure and you know the the right fractional cfo is 
going to tell you, you know what, it's time for you to hire a controller. I'm doing a lot of stuff that a controller could do. Let me help you hire one. It, like exactly to your point. And I think that the value that entrepreneurs don't really see is a lot of po uh, folks think like, well, I'm only going to phone a finance person when I have a finance question. Why would I phone you otherwise? And I think what people uh, don't often appreciate until they worked with an executive level CFO is that your CFO sees and knows everything. We see the expense reports, we see the car repair bills, we see everything. And because we have experience sitting at a team of expert executives, we give advice way beyond finance because every decision made in a company impacts finance. Just think of every initiative, everything comes with a budget. We really truly see it all. And it's that partnership of like, hey, did you see that? Like, what's going on with those bills? That seems higher than usual. You know what, your CFO's probably already thought about it. And just right. bouncing ideas is absolutely critical. It helps with that feeling of loneliness. Even when you have a board who sees you once every quarter, or maybe you have, you know, your VP of sales will know everything about your customers, but they don't know the details of how much money do you need to make when you try to retire or, but your CFO knows all of that and can help you reframe your decisions around what they know of your detailed financial, corporate and personal goals. Yeah, yeah, interesting. That's a, that's a really insightful observation because I think I think um, entrepreneurs can be very siloed in their thinking in terms of like I've hired this person to run that aspect of my business or I want them really focused on that but you do need somebody who's kind of the umbrella that that oversees everything and picks the various pieces up because otherwise the puzzle doesn't really you know fit together there's some missing pieces for sure What's your favorite? Uh, so you talked about how, you know, you can do the compliance, you can do the bookkeeping, like that's all necessary, but that's not where the magic is. The, the value add is really on, on the other side, on the, on the strategy. What's your favorite task in that value add um, bucket? <laughs> Thanks. Well, my favorite is to find how can we make more money out of what we're already doing? Mm -hmm. And so profits and cash flows. So it's because it's always a surprise. It's like this puzzle. Once you get into the data, there's never one thing. Uh, yeah. We talked about some of the revenue issues, you know, sometimes it'll be like the supply chain issues that are happening right now. It right. feels cheaper to go and buy overseas, but have you really analyzed the all-in cost of going overseas for your purchasing? Right. It's absolutely amazing how often you find that it's not as beneficial as you think it might be. Hmm. Uh, so that's that's my favorite. Uh, cash flow is a big one. I talk to a lot of folks that they're not even sure what they might need help with, but they'll say things like, I'm making lots of money. I'm really busy. Uh, I just don't have any cash in the bank. So hmm. whenever I hear things like that, that's a that's a great opportunity to get in there and let's figure out what's going on. Or, you know, this product always made me lots of money, but now it just doesn't seem nobody wants to buy it or it seems like I'm making less money every time I sell more of this over here. So love that. That's my favorite. So the, the, the little, uh, investigator mode, right. Where you're, where you're trying to solve that problem. Yeah. Well, and then you put it into a strategic plan. So you kind of, you find some solutions and maybe you realize, you know, like I had said, my strategy is to grow across Canada, but maybe my strategy needs to be the best I can be in Western Canada. How can we meet the owner's goals? in the context of our financial reality uh, in the short and the long term. 
Yeah, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Well, I think that sounds super fun. Like I also like a little bit of a puzzle and like to, you know, try to try to come at things in, in a bit of a creative way. And so that sounds kind of similar to what uh, to what you're doing as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's surprising people. Um, people are surprised at the amount of creativity that's actually involved in uh, finance. I like I have an arts degree. I do a lot more writing and storytelling and um, yeah, puzzling out on the sort of qualitative side, the quantitative side, there's way smarter folks than me that get that stuff done. <laughs> but to take that quantitative information and turn it into a story uh, and some valuable information for decision-making, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and I also think that that's, that's a little bit of a underrated skill because I think, you know, stereotypically we think like, oh, the accountants and the bookkeepers, like they're very quantitative and they're very much, you know, black and white and there's a right answer and a wrong answer and the balance sheet must, must balance and, you know, all those things, which is true. But, but it is, there is some, some skill, there is some nuance to telling the story and to extracting the story from the entrepreneur in terms of their goals, their long-term plan, what is the vision for the company? What do they want in terms of an exit? And, and what are their goals? And I think you need to be able to extract that story to then measure it against some of those metrics to then be able to re reframe the story for, for the company. And I, I do think that there are many accountants that I know that couldn't do that. And so I think that it is a skill that, uh, that certainly has a place in the fast-paced uh, you know, ever bright, shiny object world of, of entrepreneurship for sure. Yeah. And I do think that it can be limiting to a company when you stop at getting the right answer, because you're right. That's where the, that's where finance is a cost yes. and that, that cost is necessary and important. But if you stop there, you never get the full value of that money that you've spent, that investment that you've made in all that information. If you right. take that step further, and that's why the fractional CFO can baby step you into that an hour at a time. And if you decide, you know what, I, you're not making me any more money than I'm paying you, so you should go away, that, that's fair. But normally you can expect 10 or 100 times what you're paying your fractional wow. CFO to come back to you in value. I was chatting with a colleague, even another accountant, and I said, well, you know, I was in a company where I improved the gross margin. I wrote a plan to improve the gross margin by 5%. And they do 200 million a year. So when that's you significant. Started, Right? You start to think about the potential in your company, even 1% on your gross margin, that's a lot of money to your bottom line. And you're spending nowhere near that, unfortunately for me, on your uh, fractional <laughs> <laughs> Right. Right. I mean, we, we, see, we see a similar thing uh, if, from a bit of a different lens where there are potential tax savings, right? Where if you, if you implemented this plan or you took these steps, it could save you, you know, a lot of tax. And some people are like, ah, I don't know. But like saving, you know, 1% of a $100,000 tax bill or a $500,000 tax bill, it, that is significant, right? And there are many better things you could do with your money than to, you know, to pay that into, into taxes. So it, it, it does require thinking about it a bit differently, but I do think it's, uh, it's, it's a similar thing. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, so the whole tax world, there's, uh, man, those folks are, uh, worth their weight in gold, but they've taken investment in them as well. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, where do our listeners find out more about Wayfinder Financial Solutions? They can visit my website at um, wayfinderfinancial.ca and please call me. Uh, I'm actually a business nerd and even <laughs> if 
I, and I, I'm not looking for boring work to do, or I'm only looking to add value. And I will be completely honest if I don't think, if I don't think I'm the right fit, maybe you just need compliance accounting, but please just call me and bounce some ideas. If you're, if you've got some nebulous problems in your business, you don't know what's causing them. I, I've probably seen them before, so I can diagnose pretty quick and I'm happy to help. Well, that's great. That's, uh, I'm sure many people will take you up on the, that offer. Thank you for joining us. This was really fun. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.